Episode 30 of Exceeding Expectations. Welcome to the show where we give you ideas on ways that you can over deliver to your customers, resulting in great experiences for them, which then in turn results in you getting more referrals and better testimonials and also just enjoying the whole work experience far more. This week's guest is Dr. Brandon Siegel, who's a specialist in wellness and healthcare. We touch upon many different areas such as functional medicine, how health and wellness, uh, how it differs in many different countries around the world. Dr. Siegel is based in the United States, but we also talk about how it differs in countries such as the UK and Australia and Canada and Mexico and so on. He's got over 20 years experience in health and wellness and also as, a, as an entrepreneur and he's got a book called The Private Practice Survival Guide. Hope you enjoy this week's episode with Dr. Brandon Siegel. This week's edition of Exceeded Expectations, Brandon Siegel. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. And you're over in, uh, you were saying, in Madison, Wisconsin. So whereabouts in the States is that? So we're right, we're, we're a couple hours from Chicago, Illinois. Okay. We're just uh, in the, the middle of the country, a little bit north. We get all that snow comes uh, piling on our, our plate usually. So when you hear of that polar, you know, vortex or whatnot, usually my home is affected by that. But um, I actually have not always lived here. Uh, my wife uh, went to college here and has wanted to live here and we wanted to raise a family here. But I actually have offices. I'm originally from sunny California, have offices in Los Angeles. I also uh, have an office in Austin, Texas. And I get to see all of the United States, but I even get to work a little bit internationally as well in Canada, a little bit in the UK. So it's definitely uh, fun to, to be worldly, we'll say. And what is it that takes you around all those different destinations? So usually uh, I'm either speaking, giving courses, or consulting to different organizations uh, specifically around, I think, the role that health, wellness, and education plays and how to build business models that exceed expectations in today's environment. And so with the healthcare crisis, um, a lot of the times I'm coming in and helping troubleshoot and streamline the operating basis for an organization while finding ways to evaluate the clinical outcomes, what's going on, and how do we deliver the best level of care um, with a heavy influence on you know, preventative health. Is health and wellness a, a passion for you? What was it got you into that in the first place? Yeah. So, well, I it's very interesting. So the first thing first I think I should share is that I come, I'm married into a family of occupational physical speech th- uh, therapists, but really all my mother-in-law, my wife, and my brother-in-law are all occupational therapists. So they help um, people function in daily life and really restore, um, you know, all their meaning, all their function as a person, activities of daily living. Um, I always call them, they're like uh, human mechanics in the sense that they really help restore function for people. And so I think that marrying into that, I think has really promoted me to a whole new level of health and wellness and education. But I think as a child, um, 
I was raised by by parents that were very active. I think also um, just in California, we were exposed to certain things. And I think also seeing a lot of family members get sick over my lifetime, I've been able to to really become passionate that, you know, we spend all this time taking care of our house and our our air conditioning and all these other things that we get manuals for. It's so funny when you think of it, you buy a car, you get this huge manual, you buy your house, you get all the manuals, but the body we don't. And we just expect it to function until one day it doesn't. And I think I've realized in today's environment, we have so many factors that are influencing us that if we don't take care of our bodies, our quality of life is going to go extinct, essentially. And so I definitely, my passion over the years has grown. Um, and having a family of my own, I think that uh, I definitely uh, practice what I preach is the way I'll say it. It seems when it comes to health, most people are very reactive instead of proactive. What, why, what do you think is the reason for that? So I think we're at this changing of time right now. And I think that we assume we're healthy until we're not. And so the other pieces, I think we as a society go numb to the signs of sickness. You know, recently I had a really close fam- a friend of mine grew up. Her mom got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and within 10 days she passed. And so my first question is, what are all the signs that were going on that were just not in tuned with our body? And so I think one of the things I try to share with the world is we have to focus on the little things. Sometimes we're in such a grind day to day between work, family, financial requirements, everything that we forget the most important thing, and that's ourself. And I'm sure you understand that at the end of the day, if tomorrow your body shuts down, the quality of life and what you can be as a vehicle for change in this world stops. And mm-hmm. so I think that we are we have to wake up. And I think sometimes the sicker we get, the more numb we are to the signs of sickness. And what's interesting is the healthier that I've gotten over the years, the more aware that I am, the littlest thing of my body I can feel off, even like... You know, I think we have to retrain ourselves to understand the way that our body communicates to ourselves. What does a headache represent? What does a viral infection represent? What does, you know, other than things like that are reactive in the sense that I run and I fall down and I hurt my knee, what are the things internally that are going on based on how we fuel our body? And so kind of comparing it to the car is if we put um, crap in our body, excuse my language, um, eventually it's going to catch up with us. And so the the greater that we focus on the fuel that we're fueling our body and the maintenance of our body, I think the more proactive we will be um, if we don't pay attention to it. The concern is that you're one day going to wake up like my friend's mom and find out that basically it's so advanced, you missed all the signs and you have 10 days to live, which is probably one of the most terrifying things in my opinion. Mm. I mean, before we started recording, we were we started discussing about functional medicine. So, to, for, for the people who are listening to this who have no idea what that means, do you want to go into give some information about that? Absolutely, I think it's a really growing field throughout the world, but definitely in the states. I think we're finding back in the day it was you kind of had all these separation of specialists. You had um, internal medicine, you had pediatricians, you had. Um, obviously neurologists, and we still have all of those, but there's been this growing demand 
for a physician, an MD that specializes in preventative health, but also I think holistic remedies in addition to traditional medicine. And so functional medicine is is really focused on addressing the underlying cause of disease. You know, they use a system-oriented approach, but the, the goal is to find that therapeutic partnership. The goal is to find um, and really dig to the root of the problem. Sometimes we just focus on how do we make the problem better versus what's causing the problem. And I think functional medicine has really come in to do all the battery of tests that normally you may see from going to five different doctors, but they'll do it under one umbrella. And they're not just looking to say, hey, we're going to mask this problem. You clearly are having kidney pain. Here's some medication. Go with it. They are looking to also remedy the cause of it. And I think it's really important in today's environment that we find alternative solutions because a lot of the times the medication can relieve the the pain, relieve the stressors, but it doesn't always get to the root of the problem. And so sometimes building up the gut and building up some of these, these organs and things that we don't think about, um, functional medicine can come in and give us some, some really important resources and ways to take care of our body and also prevent future injury, illness, etc. Well, I imagine as well that by doing something proactive, like going to see a functional medicine practitioner, in the long run, you're actually probably going to save money. Where I imagine people don't go because they believe, oh, that's going to be really expensive and it's going to, you know, it's going to cost me so much money. But in the long run, maybe not. Yeah, and I think that sometimes there's also this persona on functional medicine that you know it's in the states we call it like hippy dippy. It's not real medicine, but these are MDs. These are medical doctors. They are doing blood testing. They can prescribe medication. They're just. They're digging a little bit deeper. They're looking into your genetic pool. They're looking into the, the the system's biology. They're understanding also and taking into account the environmental factors and the lifestyle factors. So when you go to an MD, usually back in the day, it was, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know, what's your pain point? Here you go. This is what you need to do and go. Functional medicine is not just, they're also trying to change the way your lifestyle is. When I went to my first functional medicine doctor, you know, they really spent a lot of time on th- simple things like exercise. And I remember my, you know, the doctors, the worst question you can ask me is like, hey, what's your exercise routine? Because I always felt guilty. I still feel a little guilty. But um, I remember a functional doctor really from a viewpoint standpoint sat down with me and said, look, Brandon, you know, even if it's running the stairs between lunch and your next break. They really try to break it down in a way to show improvement and to have improvement. So it's not, hey, I don't need you going out and running a marathon every day. I want you to get out of your chair and get a sit-stand desk, and I want you to stand every 25 minutes to get your blood going. I want you to do the stairs instead of taking the elevator. I want you to go out and take a walk for your 10-minute break. Don't just sit on the internet in front of a computer. And I think that these are important coupled with the entire medical genetic biology side that they cover because they're trying to transform more than just what medication and um, vitamins and those kind of resources and supplements offer. They're trying to also change the way you function on a day-to-day basis in lifestyle. You know, one of the, the words that occupational therapists coined from the University of Southern California is lifestyle redesign. 
And I think that's something that we as a society have to look at is what role does lifestyle redesign play in us advancing our health and our wellness and the way that we function. And uh, you, you were saying before that you work with you know many different types of health healthcare professionals. And, and so how is it generally that you are helping and what is it you're doing? So usually it's someone who is an entrepreneur with a purpose, but they have a training and service that they offer related to their physician, they're a chiropractor, they're an occupational physical speech therapist, maybe they're a psychologist, a special education um, attorney. Basically, they're building a business model off a service that they specialize in that's usually driven on passion, purpose, and helping people. The problem is, is they build this practice all based on this rose-colored glasses of helping people, but they often get themselves in a hole, a ditch, and it it's related to just poor business planning. And so normally someone will either hear me speak or they'll read my book or, you know, um, maybe they get referred from a friend, but usually the pain points sound something like this. Hey, Brandon, I got into this. I never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. I never thought I was going to go this, this business route. I didn't really study business and I've done a good job thus far, but my operations are all over the place. I don't know how to run my payroll. I don't even know what's up or down or the metrics that I should look at. You know, how do I evaluate my customer retention rate? How do I evaluate my customer acquisition rate? How do I measure clinical outcomes to make sure that I'm advanced in what we're delivering? And so I come in and I actually look and evaluate their entire operating basis from a business standpoint, from a value standpoint, from a clinical standpoint in terms of their clinical outcomes with their clients, et cetera. And usually, depending on their needs, I will coach them. I will manage practices um, at times. I will help launch startups for um, different practices. And sometimes it's even scalability. I have one location. I'm growing to another. Brandon, can you help make sure I have everything in order? There's like 150 different variables to keep in mind, business licenses, um, NPI numbers, um, et cetera. And so those are some of the things that I really focus on, including like really helping establish and increase cash flow for a, a practice. And it all comes down to this. I'm not, pa- I am passionate about helping people that are driven and, and really focused on delivering exceptional service. I'm not just looking to be another cog in the, in, in the wheel in this world. And so I specialize in aligning with practices that are quality over quantity. And within that quality, we find the right scalable so that people can profit and make what they deserve to make. But at the end of the day, the quality of services is at the highest level and they really are committed to the passion and purpose that got them into this field. So, so when you say that you try to, to help them deliver exceptional service, how would you so what sort of things would it be that they'd be doing that would be different to, to others that are just sort of meeting expectations rather than exceeding? So a couple things. I think it obviously there's a, a difference in different service offerings, what type of practitioner they are. But a lot of the times I find that, you know, in today's environment and that in the healthcare world or government funded services, we take a lot of shortcuts and the shortcuts could use that you ultimately are getting care by assistants and aides and PAs and all these different pieces, but you're just hitting numbers where you don't even, the, the social emotional component of patient care gets lost. The overall experience of when someone walks through the door and the value of 
how you approach them. That's the first piece I look at is what's the user experience. And it's interesting. We look at our world and we see when we go to Disneyland, if you've ever been to Disneyland, they're all about the customer experience. They're leaders in the customer experience. They actually teach and train organizations on the Disney way. Imagine if healthcare had that viewpoint. Imagine if when you went in at your worst time in life, people were there to make sure that you feel heard, that you feel seen, that you feel they're transparent with you, that they're giving you data that you can digest and it's not over your head, and that they're going the extra mile to reach and build a support system for you. And so how much would that be worth you? To me, that's worth a lot. When you're going through your hardest time, you need more support than ever. And so in addition to like evaluating the business model and how the how the business runs, so to speak, from a functional capacity standpoint, we want to focus on what is that experience? How do we go that extra mile? What what are the variables and key performance indicators that are going to leave someone wanting more? Meaning like, oh my gosh, I can go nowhere else but here. This is my place, you know. Dr. Siegel is my guy. This is who takes care of me, et cetera. And and I do this with all my clients and and my coaching. And so to a a fault, but I do it because I have it ingrained in my head that I always want to exchange in abundance. So I'm that guy that literally, no matter how busy I am, you will get a response from me within 24 hours, usually of email, if not within 20 minutes. Um, I sometimes will answer emails at three in the morning. I will sometimes answer phone calls when I know someone's in distress, you know, um, these are ways that I think when you're in a people oriented purpose, you have to have boundaries, but at the same point, I really try to exchange in a way where no one can doubt my intention. Do you have any stories to illustrate you know, some of the things that you were just talking about? I have a client that, uh, has a physician practice and this is going to be on, on my side of supporting them just so that everyone gets a story. And um, this physician practice has gone through some major, terrible staffing issues where people have left them in a lurch. And I have literally gotten a call. Most people, you know, at nine at night, um, six in the morning, they're turned off. And I'm answering phones, making calls, and even offered to cancel appointments and fly on an airplane to help support the training of their entire workforce as we go through this transition. So on a personal side, that's one aspect. Um, on a on a practice side, I actually have a pediatric occupational and speech therapy practice in uh, Chatham, New Jersey that I support. And they work with children that are challenged in their milestones um, developmentally. They also really specialize in children that are suffering in school with attention deficit challenges, high, you know, ADD, ADHD, learning challenges, not able to thrive, et cetera. You know, a lot of clinics out there that are working with this public in all transparency, they're given 20, 30 minute services and you're just a cog in the wheel. They're using, you know, assistance and aids to deliver the therapeutic intervention. And with this practice, we have created a therapeutic process where from the minute they walk through the door, they get greeted by name, by family. We have exercises and activities for the parents and the family. We actually reach out to their entire network of providers when permitted through HIPAA compliance 
to really unite and be the glue for everyone around that child from the grandparents, the parents, the babysitters, the teachers, the you know physicians that are also working on it and really creating a collaborative unit of approach to transform the way that care is delivered for the child and the family where we will even go and do on-site um, evaluations and assessments. We will do telehealth. We will provide um, phone calls at all different times. We work, we start at 6.30 in the morning and go till nine at night just to support families. And so I think that's probably an, a way that I align with a practice to elevate what's traditional and what's exceptional in uh, today's environment. How would you say, I mean, you mentioned before that you speak not only in, in the States, but also in other countries. How does healthcare, how different is it in the States to other countries? It's so different that the similarity is this. Everyone's unhappy. And that's what's amazing is every room I go to and I ask, are you happy with the current state of healthcare? And I think every single person will raise their hand and say, no, at, at least 60% will say, like, I'll say it this way, at least 100% will say that they think it could be improved and better. And probably 60 to 70% will say they they literally hate our current healthcare infrastructure, whether it's in uh, Canada, whether it's in the UK, whether it's in the United States, whether it's in Israel, all different areas that it, Mexico um, what's funny is I think in some cases, people in Mexico are happy than all the other areas. And that's what's so unique. But I think part of it is that in Mexico, there's a higher rate of cash pay you got to bring in, you know, depending on, on what you're trying to get. So I think expectations are different throughout the world, but altogether people are frustrated um, with the way it is. And I think that one of the issues is we all are trying to solve the problem differently. So I think we we couple quality and affordability in the same equation. And I'm sure you've heard this, like you get what you pay for. And so in the UK, you have um, centralized healthcare is the way I would call it. So, or from an affordability standpoint, most people would probably say they're satisfied. Am I correct? Um, yeah, I guess so, yeah. For the most part, you know, you always want more. But when I ask about how long it takes to get a special service that you need, a specialty offering. If you're in acute need, the level of service that you're getting for that affordability, I would say 70% of the people would say they're not, they're, they're less than a six out of 10 satisfied. Would you agree? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. So in the States, the issue is nothing's affordable. Nothing's transparent. You walk into a hospital and you don't know if your insurance is really going to cover it or not. It's very overwhelming. You all of a sudden find out that this bill is going to be $40,000 billed to your insurance, which is overinflated billing. That's not real to the doctor. And your quality of service is pretty mediocre at best. And then if I told you that that doctor who just billed, so I, I have this client that is a uh, cancer surgeon. Uh, she does uh, surgeries. And she told me her most complex surgery is a four-hour surgery. And it's very complex. And she gets paid $900 for that four-hour. This is a world-class surgeon making $900 for four hours of surgery. But then your bill shows it as like 40000 at the end of the day. 
So I think the problem in the States is our expectation and, and where we place blame is all different. I think that there part of it is the payer source, the insurance and the way things are. Part of it is because we pay so much into a healthcare system, we expect greater value than we're getting. And so whenever I even present the idea of what if we had a free market? What if you got to pick and choose where you spent your money and what you spent it on? Wouldn't that empower people to deliver greater value for what you're getting? And it's hard because people want – so there is a heavy desire in the States for socialized medicine, which I can see as a value on a base level of humankind and care and having affordability. But I think that there also needs to be a free market coupled with that. And what you just said before about so someone turns up at a hospital and they're not even sure whether they're going to be able to afford or whether their healthcare covers what it you know what it is they may need. That's going to introduce additional stress, which is just going to make the whole thing even worse. Hundred percent. It's it's interesting. So my wife, when we had our first child, we had an emergency C section. We they actually coded all the billing claims wrong to the insurance, and we got a bill for I think it was like twenty six thousand dollars because of the anesthesiologist. The stress that it took to get that right and the fear that I would be on the hook for $26,000 is crazy. And at the end of the day, when it really came down to it, I'd almost rather someone just say, this is your, it's a $3,500 piece. It's out of pocket. We're going to create a payment plan. This is how we're going to do it because no one can afford twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. It just, they can't like, I mean, unless maybe the top 1%, but in all transparency, how many people are going into a surgery center saying, I'm going to spend $40,000. And I don't know a doctor that's making $40,000 on a surgery in that sense. So someone's getting that money and a lot of it is so inflated just so that they can get their $900 service because of the way the system is. And so I think it comes back to, we need transparency. We need, uh, the, the starting point is what is the value of the service? And no one knows that in the current healthcare system. Changing tact a bit, you, you, before you mentioned about your book, uh, The Private Practice Survival Guide. So what, what was it that made you write that book? Ten years ago, I joined my mother-in-law's private practice. And I literally saw all these business people kind of shift and support her, but also take advantage of her naivety in business where she lost a lot of money. And what I found was that getting back to basics with her, I literally closed down different companies and everything. And people thought I was crazy. They're like, you're killing her business. You close this, you close that. You, And I said, if you really dive deep and you do a surgical viewpoint of her business model, she was de- delivering mediocre care and she was losing money while doing it. What makes sense? Sometimes you got to start from scratch again. So I actually cleaned the slate and I built an infrastructure based on quality over quantity, which was the opposite of the recipe before. It was quantity over quality. And when I started speaking around the country, I found that this mistake that my mother-in-law had gone through, which her purpose was just about helping as many people as, as she wanted. So I want to make it clear that the quantity over quality was not based on her wanting to make all this money. It was actually based on her trying to help so many different people. She just didn't know how to do it in an effective way while monetizing it effectively. So I rebuilt it, found 
a ton of people going through the same piece. And I realized that I needed an instructional startup guide that was motivational, that had 10 modules of learning for anyone to go through to evaluate their current infrastructure as a private practice from human resources and compliance, hiring staff, training staff, scaling, contracting, building um, uh, payer mix, marketing, evaluating the top metrics that a private practice needs to look at. And so I built this book just based on a need that I saw and, and based on courses that I was delivering over and over and over again. And I ended up having people even outside of health, wellness, and education tell me it's actually just a great entrepreneurial guide because it gives you a lot of information about things that you would often miss when starting a business. So it, it literally at the end, it's got a whole appendix on everything you need to do and everything you need to look at from insurances and corporations and LLCs and the difference between independent contractors and employees. Um, you know, if you're going overseas, what that looks like. So there's a lot of great resources, but it definitely is an easy read. It's a fun read. There's lots of stories in it, but it was based on the fact that I was hoping it could be a vehicle to help people just like I helped my mother-in-law. How long ago was it that you published the book? book just came out uh, February 5th of 2019. And uh, we've sold uh, over 600 copies in literally uh, a month, I think. Yeah, it's been, uh, we're going on like 45 days since I think it officially hit stores. There's even an audio, uh, audio book on Audible. And I have a course connected that's coming out as well. That's basically the book on steroids. And it's me giving you literally 10 modules of training all related to private practice and the factors that are influencing entrepreneurs and being successful in a service delivery based business model. And so who would you say the course is aimed at? I think the course is is aimed at anyone that either is having trouble in their own business and they deliver either health service and education service or preventative health or even like um, fitness instructors, uh, chiropractors, doctors, anyone of that level that is delivering a special service and trying to become a successful business owner or someone that has a dream of being a business owner and maybe they're currently practicing for um, in someone else's practice, but they just want to start preparing themselves to one day open a practice. I would say this course is great and you can watch it over and over again. There's so much information and normally I'll give this course in 10 hours and people tell me that they need 30, 40 hours to digest it. Um, just because I really try to cover so much information, mainly because it gets back to, I want to exchange in abundance. And so I don't want to just give you 10 hours of repeat on marketing. I want to give you every little thing to unlock the way that your brain thinks about private practice and, and entrepreneurship. And you mentioned also that you're going to start a podcast with the, you know, the same name as the book, The Private Practice Survival Guide. So what do you think you'll be covering in a podcast? What kind of guests will you, will, will you be having guests or so how will you... Yeah. So really the idea behind this podcast was what if I could launch 30 minute episodes with three tips, a little bit of motivation and strategies that people are facing on a daily basis, just a little bit of inspiration and three new ways to transform the way that their practice is operated. So that's the cornerstone of it. And then I will have 
special episodes that I drop in with interviews, but it really, the core of it is 30 minutes of me, like having your, me as your advisor. And so even people are going to be able to give topics that they want me to cover. And so it's almost like a free audio coaching model where I'm going to be delivering strategies in all different areas of private practice and entrepreneurship and um, really just help change the way that people are functioning in today's world through entrepreneurship and private practice. What would you say, I mean, yeah, so obviously the title of the podcast is Exceeding Expectations. What, what are your thoughts on that? So first and foremost, I actually give this metaphor um, in my uh, talks. I, I actually tell this story. I ask a question about um, how many people flew to get to this you know, experience and I ask them to raise their hand. I say, okay, everyone flew here, great. And I say, how many of you would say that you had a great um, experience on the airplane. And probably 80% would say, would raise their hand and they would say, yeah, no, Brandon, I, I had a really great experience. I said, well, tell me what, what was so great about it? I want to know. And no joke, every time it's the same answer. It's we arrived on time. And to me, that's so funny because... That means the bar is so low. You you literally, if, if, if I came by and greeted you and just said, hi, thanks for being on the plane, it would automatically exceed expectations. We as a society have such a low bar in terms of customer experience today, whether you go to a restaurant, whether you go to a healthcare provider, whether you go to pick up something at, at the store, the expectation lowers every day that if we exceed expectations, our built-in scalability to our business, to how we do things is bar none life-changing. The easiest thing can be the biggest game changer for your business. So uh, in addition to, I think, exceeding expectations on purpose and just trying to do right by others, like I always say we are such a self-oriented society right now that those that can just put a little bit of intention outside of themselves are going to stand out. And so I think it's, I think you're changing the world by exceeding expectations. And I say that because we need to do more for others. We need to do more for everyone around us. And so I think we can help society flourish by exceeding expectations. I think we can help business models flourish by exceeding expectations. And I think it's simply so easy to do. And so even when I interview someone, I exceed expectations. Do you know why I exceed expectations? I literally am just transparent. I'm real. I just say, hey, here's the deal. This is what I'm looking at. This is the problem. These are my concerns right now. Let's talk about this. Does this work for you? And every time people leave literally saying, oh my gosh, you are amazing. Like not only did you, were you transparent with me, you gave me really key strategies and your intention was so pure. And I think if your intention is pure, then you should exceed expectations because not everyone's intention is pure. If you go on my website, uh, glassdoor.com as an example, and you type in wellness works management partners. You're going to see 13 reviews. Those are reviews for employees and clients of mine that specifically talk about how Brandon exceeds expectations. And none of what I've done is hard. 
It's a matter of trying to exchange in abundance, and ultimately, my goal is to do right by all that come across in my in my journey in this lifetime. If um, people want to find out more about you, Brandon, where where would they go to? Where would it be the best place? So first, I'll I'll, I'll guide you to brandonsegel.com, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-S-E-I-G-E-L.com, brandonsegel.com. The other, you can always check out my consulting and management company at wellnessworksmanagementpartners.com or wellnessworksmp.com for short. Um, but brandonsegel.com will tell you more about my book, my podcast, where I'm featured, um, all those different things, any articles coming out on me, any uh, workshops that I'm giving. And uh, it's just, it's such a privilege to be on this and, and talk talk with you and, and really to share in a vision of exceeding expectations because we need more people out there doing that. Well, I really appreciate all the, um, the great information you've given. and I'm sure um, people are going to really enjoy this episode. So thank you very much. Thank Brandon. you. Have a great day. Episode 31 next Tuesday is with Brian Williams, an international speaker, author and consultant. And he's spoken in, in many different countries around the world. He's originally from St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands, but has been living in the States for quite a while now, for quite a few years. So that's next week with Brian Williams. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please do leave, leave us a review and I'll see you next week.